You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 227. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. Today, I'm sharing a very special session that we had at this year's Impact Summit. I sat down and had a very frank conversation with the Project Management Institute CEO, Pierre Lamont. We talked about what it takes for project people to earn the respect of their executives and how to even get a seat at the leadership table if they want to break through the glass ceiling that holds so many project people back and maybe even become an executive or C-suite executive in their organizations. So this was a really great conversation because Pierre is running the Project Management Institute and brings so much experience as an executive to PMI, as well as being able to talk a lot about what he looks for in his own organization as he is shaping and transforming PMI to serve their members and the broader community globally. In case you missed it at the summit, I thought this might be a good way to expose you to a couple of things. One, what PMI is looking to do now with their new leadership in place and what they look for in leaders in their organization organization to help them shape the future, and two, what it takes to break through the glass ceiling and what it looks like on the other side of the fence if you do want to sit at the leadership table and be an executive. I hope you find this interview enlightening and feel that you've got a better sense of what executives are looking for. So let me know what you think after you listen to the episode, and let's get that conversation going online. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine System, and our Impact Accelerator Mastermind. If you are looking to earn your seat at the table, break through that glass ceiling, and become an executive, the Impact Accelerator Mastermind is your fast track. Our Impact Engine System tells you what to do, in what order, why to do it, and how to do it so that you can build or elevate your existing PMO or strategy or transformation team to deliver the big impact results you need to even be considered for a seat at the table. And then in our Mastermind, There's so much goodness there on guiding you on your leadership journey. We have invested a great deal in supporting all of the people in the mastermind to achieve their own professional goals and do so in a way that is supportive and skill building and giving you a deep dive into all the things that really make a difference. So if you're looking to build or elevate a PMO, a strategy or transformation team, or you really need to get yours back on track. Don't worry, I've got you. You want to join the Impact Engine system and consider that upgrade to the mastermind because that mastermind is where we're going to help you get your seat at the table and make a bigger impact one project at a time. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash IES. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash IES. I can't wait to welcome you into the community. Okay, let's do this. Well, hey there, Impact Drivers. Welcome to the Impact Summit. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today I have the honor of sharing a really special setting for you on how we can break the glass ceiling that is holding project professionals back. Today, our honored and esteemed guest, Pierre Lamont, is a global executive with a multicultural background and has guided multiple organizations through complex transformation as the CEO. Today, he is the CEO of PMI, the Project Management Institute the global organization supporting all of us project professionals in making a bigger impact. 
Now, Pierre is passionate about leading teams in innovating and creating new ways to disseminate specialized knowledge, upskilling, and education, which makes him the perfect guest to have on the Impact Summit to talk about how we can take all of the great knowledge and skills that we have today and elevate and accelerate so that we can break that glass ceiling for all project professionals who really need a seat at the table to help their organizations drive a greater impact, which is why we're all here. So with that said, Pierre, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Laura. That's great to be with you. You know, I think this event is a fantastic opportunity each year for all of you, PMO leaders, product professionals, and for anyone driving strategy and change to come together, exchange ideas. So I'm really grateful that you invited me and very happy to have this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to just dive in because I think that what we need to talk about here is just a foundational game changer for all of these project professionals who have been asking for years, how do I get my seat at the table? How do I really break that glass ceiling? So you okay if we just dive right in? Sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So we're here at the Impact Summit, which is the focus of organizations needing to drive a bigger impact. And that's really what it's all about. But I'd like to start first with the CEO perspective of the future of PMOs, where we are and where we're headed. So what role do you see that PMOs and other strategy transformation delivery teams play in driving organizational change, innovation, and growth? And then there's a second part. How can we better support and guide them in their efforts going forward? You know, Laura, I really believe that PMO has actually perceived as very important by most companies and, and most CEOs. Interestingly, the other day I was uh, having a, a meeting with one of our advertising agencies. You would think that ad agencies are not the most focused on processes, uh, getting things well organized, their creativity, ideas, and sales, and stuff like that. That specific agency, which is a role agency, are currently creating, they just created their PMO office and that huge uh, hopes about it. So I do believe that PMOs are seen as quite important by many organizations. Uh, and you see VCs saying the same thing about their startups and how they should be better organized and able to manage projects properly. But of course, there are very different levels of maturity. Now, I believe also that all project managers, especially PMOs, know what the danger is, right? They know that the danger is to focus too much on processes, on templates, on reports, and all these things that are important, but maybe not the core focus of interest of CEOs. They understand that this should happen and someone has to do it, but they're not personally very passionate about that because this is not what they think about all day long or all night long. Right. And I think most PMs know and most PMOs know that they should focus on the linkage between business objectives, execution, the outcome, all these things that we've been talking about for a long time. But even if they know it, it's not that easy. I was uh, talking to Jack Duggle not so long ago, and he always talks about this exercise that he runs every time he audits and helps a company improve its product management office. And he always says, every DMO knows what to focus on. But then when I asked them, what do you actually do? What do you work on? And initially, almost every point that is mentioned is about time, schedule, scope, risk, procurement, reporting, dashboards, trading, stakeholder management. And you have to think pretty hard, you know, and prompt them to start talking about all these things like, how do you prioritize? What is your portfolio strategy, the RI, the benefits management, impact, innovation, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So all the things that CEOs are really, truly interested in. And I believe this is really what is at stake. You know, if PMOs want to have more attention from CEOs and 
a bigger influence, they have to make sure they are more interesting to them, much more complicated than that. And by the way, just to make everybody feel good, you know, it's not only the problem of project professionals or PMOs. I spent many years in other industries. I spent many years in market research, for instance, and they had the exact same problem, speaking too much about the technicalities and not enough of what is really interesting to the site or CEOs. Because as you know, one of the most famous advertisers in history, I think he summarized this very well one day as a good advertiser. And he, he said in four words, he said, don't be a bore. And I think that's really important that we all have this in mind when we talk to the C-suite. So Laura, this is really very important because PMO are truly useful to the success of organizations. You know, we developed at PMI something that we call the maturity index, which groups of scores, best practices, such as technology, the usage of technology, data, people, integration, alignment, governance, all the things that PMO's offices are supposed to do and do well. When this is done well, it does materialize in disproportionate growth and much higher customer satisfaction. And that index that we've put together and that research that we've run shows that for the 10% of organizations that have the most successful project management, the head of PMO or the person who represents the PMO, like for instance, the chief transformation officer, in most cases, is part of the C-suite, right? So access to the C-suite is so important to not only the career of project professionals, but also the success of the corporations of the companies they work for. 100%. And you know, I tell PMO people all the time, listen, I have never in my life met an executive, and I've worked with a lot of them, that said, wait, hold on, hold on. Can you come back when you have five more templates for me to fill out, right? Like that's not what's on their mind. And so I tell them, like, when you see the eyes glazing over when you're talking about all your templates and the steps in your process and defining your success by the number of project managers or the number of projects, have you ever considered that maybe you should have fewer, not more? Maybe there should be fewer projects happening at one time, not more. So if we are defining our success as project professionals in the wrong way, it's widening the gap or widening the gap between the C-suite where they desperately need the right support and where the project professionals sit. So I think this is a huge game changer. Think about it exactly the way you're saying it and why it's so important to have someone like you with a CEO's perspective now in a position to be able to help, quite frankly, transform the way the industry thinks about the role of project management you know, from the C-suite. So this is fabulous. Thank you so much more projects is not exactly what CEOs want, right? In fact, right. most of their job is about making sure they have less projects and allocate more resources to these most important projects because the biggest problem that the C-suite has and the biggest problem that CEOs have is dispersion, doing too many things and not focusing on the right thing. Right, for sure. And that is a global problem in the C-suite because at the same time, they also want to do it all, right? Like they know their job is to do the right number of things, the right things, the right people, the right ways. But we can't forget that it's making sure we are doing the right things, not just doing those things right, right? So it's not just about project process. While that good discipline process is important, it is the means to achieve the big impact that we're trying to drive for organizations. And for all of you impact drivers watching this, you are needed at that table. So we've got to help you figure out the right way to get there. So thank you. So I'd like to ask, as your perspective as president and CEO of PMI, what are some of the key trends or future developments you specifically see for PMOs and whole project management landscape? And how can professionals 
adapt and prepare for these changes because things are always changing and I'm hoping in that right upward direction, right? So how do we help this industry prepare? I think we all agree that obviously today, AI or generative AI is the one topic that we dominate all the discussions about the future of project, project management in general, but of course of PMOs in particular. And I think we can all see how AI will enable at scale to automate things like reporting, scheduling, risk identification, et cetera, et cetera, and many processes, templates, and even uh, how it will help in project planning, you know, like defining the scope, the charter, the work breakdown structure, and all these things that you do early on. A lot of that can be, if not fully automated, but largely automated. And we understand that the power of creativity of AI is quite impressive as well, right? Even if it's not pure innovation that you can get from it, you can get so many different ideas. It can prompt your creativity very well, right? So obviously, the project professionals or the PMOs who mostly do those tasks that we just mentioned that will be largely automated will see their jobs being automated. So definitely this is scary for the profession and something that people talk about a lot. We also all understand because we've been trained that way that risk and opportunities are two sides of the same thing. So it's also massive opportunity for product professionals and for PMOs to be the ones who are going to leverage AI, being replaced by AI, but be the ones who help CEOs, who help the C-suite lead those AI transformation projects that are everywhere in all companies. I don't know of any CEO who doesn't have AI transformation on top of their priorities. By the way, trust me, when you have investors, whether you're a public company, or you're a private company, you're a family-owned company, everyone is pushing you to have a proper AI strategy. It was the case before, of course, the big chat GPT boom that happened a few months ago now. But since then, it's even more, of course, because there's a lot of awareness now everywhere about the potential transformation and disruption that generative AI is going to bring, right? So that's the opportunity which is out there for all of us and for all of you. It will encompass many areas, technology choices, people, ethics, risk, governance, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that for those who will have the courage and the ability also to question what they're doing right now and how to do things differently tomorrow, this is a wonderful opportunity that will make the job of project professionals or PMOs more interesting, closer to what is interesting to the C-suite and to CEOs, and hopefully to make all of us more effective and increase the better, increase the success rates of projects and make them better managed in general. Right. Absolutely. And this is something that I have been encouraging, you know, PMO and project people to really jump on board with early because all of the you know, scary nonsense. Oh, it's going to take your job. I said, listen, if your job is purely administrative and lower level thinking, this is your opportunity. It's not a risk. It's an opportunity because now you get to let the AI and the lower level tech take care of the administrivia of these roles so that you can be in a higher level influencer role, relationship building, let it handle the templates, tools, and process stuff and driving the basics of the decision-making so that you can then step into more of a leadership role as a project professional and focus on the two things that, at least for now, AI isn't taking care of for us, which is relationships and the people side and driving the change, the real influencing of driving change for an organization, which is all through people. 
We don't want to do change to people. We want to do change with people. So this gives all project professionals an opportunity to step into and closer to that, you know, breaking through that glass ceiling into more business leadership roles and supporting the entire strategy delivery process and ensuring you get the right people in the right places going in the right direction. All of that is you have capacity to do that if you're not so focused down and in on the administrivia. So I think every project professional should be taking advantage wherever they can of all the free tools out there and then all the way AI is being brought into a lot of software solutions really quickly so that all of that busy work is gone and people don't think of project professionals as doing the busy work. That's all being handled. Now it's all about the people side of change. So I love where we're headed. And Laura, I think, you know, very importantly, part of this is a slightly defensive move. So how do I become knowledgeable in AI so that I am more valuable as a professional that someone doesn't and would probably be replaced with the AI itself? So that's mm-hmm. the defensive side of things. But on the offense, again, I think it's very important to understand that CEOs and C-suite teams do not necessarily know exactly how to leverage AI and how to manage right. transformation. And that's the real opportunity. You know, This is where your ability to manage transformation or strategic transformation will yep. find an incredible opportunity. You know, This is where you should go. You know, Try to help your employers, your organization, your company, your teams to transform and leverage AI. That's the most incredible opportunity, I think, for the profession beyond just being defensive. Because of course, we know that consultants will come to your CEOs and say that a lot of tasks could be automated and we could reduce headcounts and they will listen to that. But that's interesting to CEOs, but trust me, less than the transformative power that they can hope they will achieve through generative AI. So that's where the real game is, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So I hope you all are listening to this, all of you impact drivers. There are so many opportunities here for you to really get at the front end of this and help your organization not just do projects, but drive real transformation and lead your organizations into a future state. This is great. Oh, so good. So good. Okay. So let's get a little bit more diving a little bit deeper into breaking that glass ceiling. Because I know that all of our impact drivers listening are thinking, okay, this is great, but how am I getting to that C-suite? How am I getting my seat at the table? And that's something we've been talking about with PMO leaders and project professionals forever. How do you get that seat at the table? So Pierre, I know a key focus for PMI is enabling project professionals to continue in advancing in their careers and building their toolkits as leaders. So how can project professionals effectively communicate their value, super important, not just the work they're doing, but the value and influence to senior executives and stakeholders within the organization? Right now, the way that project people define their value and the way the executives value results, there seems to be a gap there. So how do we help close that? Like we said, you know, you've got to get their interest by speaking their language first. Yeah. And the language is growth, profitability. Education, choices, people, innovation, AI. You probably want to be one step ahead of them on something. If you're only repeating things that they've already heard, it's going to be more difficult to catch their interest. So you have to be knowledgeable a little bit more than them in something, right? And you know a lot of things that they don't know. The way you present it, of course, again, speaking their language, which is a language that is very focused on usually on business or achieving the long-term mission of the organization is the way you catch their interest. But you know, then there are normal people, if you are speaking in a simple way, 
in a clear way, concrete and simple. If you're data driven, that's good. You know, good data speaks by itself. Need some context, definition, benchmarks, trends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they love data. You know, the idea that they love words, words, words. They like facts and data a lot, right? Especially if it's put in context. So try to do that, and of course, focus on the outcomes, the problem you're trying to solve. You know, and again, simplicity in your communication with them and concreteness is very important. Do not assume that when CEOs do not understand what you're talking about, we'll think that it's because you're very smart and they're not. <laughs> Usually, they will assume that someone else should deal with this. For sure. And that's something that I remember early in my career being so worried to go talk to the executives because it was all of those, you know, men and women over there in that area. And then Nobody could talk to them. I would get nervous if I had to present in front of them. And then over time, I realized, you know, they're just people too. And they just want you to get to the bottom line up front, tell them what they need to know to drive actions, drive decision, and get to those business outcomes. So I think that's a really important point, Pierre, because a lot of, again, going back to project professionals need to define their value the way the business leaders do, which is simple, clear, focused, driving actions and decisions, as opposed to you know, a lot of times, a lot of that reporting or communication gets so heavy and bogged down. And, you know, I say to project managers, if you put a 15 page report in front of your executive, and then you're mad that they're stuck down on the bottom of page 14 on one little thing that isn't even relevant to the decision that you need today, shame on you because you put that in front of them and you gave them the opportunity to dive into that rabbit hole that wasn't even relevant to what you needed. And by the way, you should be able to communicate it all in one page. Like, what do you need to know? What are the results you need? And where do you need the executive to jump in, right? No, the one page is not always the most important thing. The most important thing is the way you structure. Remember how journalists do, right? You read the header, you already know what this is about. You read the first two lines and you know a little more. You read the first paragraph and you know more. And then if you want to, you keep going. And I think the same idea, right? You have to be able to express your point of view hook their interest in 20 seconds so that you get the right to speak for three minutes, which will give you the right to speak for 20 minutes and maybe the right to speak for more, right? That's how you have to approach it. That was difficult sometimes. But again, let's try to be very simple, straightforward, concrete, data-driven, and that's going to help the time. I love that approach. It's the unfolding to the level of detail that's needed in order to get to the point the executive has what they need to make a decision because they may not need the five minutes more if that upfront communication is done effectively. They may have all they need to keep going and make a decision and help people get unstuck. So I love that approach. I'm definitely going to make sure that our impact drivers know to start thinking in that way. Thank you. Most of my time is spent selecting the right people to do the job. You know, that's, it's maybe not the most important thing. It's one of the two or three most important things, but certainly it takes a lot of time to do that and then build a team. So once you feel you can trust someone, you don't usually want to go into too much details. You will ask a few questions, but you know that their thinking is right. And that's what you need to appear, right, with the C-suite. Once the trust that you know what you're talking about, that you are focused on the same outcomes that they are focused on, then they will trust you more and they won't necessarily ask you to explain a lot of details. We're all the same. Trust is something you need to appear. Absolutely. Well, and I remember one time when I was speaking at a PMI conference and they were doing a Q&A part, so someone stood up and said, well, I don't understand why our executives don't get the importance of project management and they don't get us and we should just have our seat at the table. And I immediately said, give me that microphone, right? <laughs> because I said, no, 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 no. First of all, you have to earn it, right? You have to earn that trust. You have to earn it. 
not by expecting them to get you as a project person, but by you investing the time to get them. Speak their language, understand the challenges that they're trying to address, understand the business problems they're trying to solve, and then helping them see how you can help them solve that by speaking their language, right? That's where a lot of that trust comes from is like you said, you have to be confident that the people that you have working with you, not only do you trust them, but you trust what they're able to do, right? And that's a really important part of this. And the way you're going to know that is if they're speaking your language, not expecting you to speak theirs. So I think that's really important part of it that I think a lot of people don't realize. So thank you for bringing that up, Pierre. That's great. So what specific strategies or approaches do you recommend for project professionals? Like, I'd really like to dig into enhancing their leadership skills and expanding their influence within their teams and organizations so that they're really able to do the things that we're talking about here. I know some people listening, because these are project professionals, they want to, okay, now tell me what to do now, (laughs) specifically. You mean to enhance their leadership skills? and Yeah, to enhance their leadership skills, expand their influence. What specifically should they be doing? First of all, leadership can happen everywhere. If you define it as the ability to inspire others and drive change around you, almost everyone can do that. It's not limited to the C-suite or CEOs. And we see examples of leadership at all levels of the organization in reality. And on the other side, you know, it's interesting because I was uh, I published the other day on LinkedIn an extract of the People Manifesto of PMI. And the first concept here, the first sentence, is that leadership sometimes can be overstated. And that's an interesting point of view because it means that what PMI means by that is that Sometimes CEOs have to take the backseat. You don't always want to lead. Right. You want to follow. You know, you want to follow your own team because if you look at it, they're going the right direction. I'm not going to try and lead them too much because otherwise, you know, you're suppressing a little bit their energy and ability to free it by themselves and move in the right direction. There's no need to lead all the time. So I think it's important to have this in mind. You know, you got to learn leadership, but it's not something that you want to exercise all the time, right? It's it those out two different takes. Now, if you want to learn how to be a CEO, for instance, you know, often people are asking me, what would you advise to someone who wants to become a CEO? Usually I get this question for younger people, but at any age, right? If if this is what you want to do. What I always answer is you have to behave as if the entire company depends on you. You know, you have to take Mm -hmm. ability for your company's performance and its future as a whole. And that's, if you have this kind of mindset, it will really help you think differently, think beyond your own direct area it will help you perform and, and it won't get noticed. You know, it's not that so many people give that impression that they are really taking the future of the company at heart and they're really behaving as if the entire company depends on that. So once you do that, people not only will notice that, but it will also force you to think in a certain way and that will help you develop this kind of leadership skills that you need if you want to reach the C-suite or become a CEO one day. Now, to be honest, how do you then develop skills you need. It's a combination of experience, of self-actualization, of uh, development through multicultural experiences. It's about surviving your mistakes. You know, of course, by this, I mean being able to listen, to build resilience, which is basically to bounce back stronger than you were or having a setback. You know, all this is the way you gain leadership, you know, that combination of things. In terms of experience, I always tell people growth and comfort don't go well together. So when you start to feel comfortable, it's great. You know, and I respect that, by the way. Myself, sometimes, I love being comfortable and stay like this for a while. Why not the present? You know, this goes very well with mindfulness as we pay a lot of attention to this now. But if you want to grow, you know, at one point, you need to get out of your comfort zone and do stuff that you're not sure you'll be successful at and take that risk. 
and it's going to teach you so much and help you so much then once you face new situations, unknown situations, to know how to react and to know yourself, right? That's so helpful. And then in terms of self-actualization, I know it's uh, a lot about developing yourself professionally, attending to conferences like this one, of course, reading a lot of content. This is a lot of what PMI does, right? Providing courses, thought leadership events, but it's also outside of your direct professional interest, right? You have to be able to have a certain point of view on the world, point of view of what's going on, read, read stuff on the internet, read whatever you feel like reading. Everything you read one way or another is going to help you develop yourself. Of course, the broader your interests become, the better it is for you. But in reality, if we only focus on reading management books and focusing on our own industries, that's not the best way, in my opinion, to develop the leadership you need, especially when we come to facing unknown situations, uncharted territories, you know, situations that any CEO or any C-suite has to face, maybe not every day, but fairly regularly. Right. That's so true. And for everyone that's watching this and thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. And that means you have to have space for it, right? Growth and self-development requires time, investing in yourself, right? Investing in yourself to make the time and energy and focus. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but it does take an investment in your time. Because so many you can subscribe to different newsletters that the C-suite is, you know, subscribing to. You can go to conferences. You can learn. You know, this Impact Summit's a great example. Everything we're doing is about helping project professionals break that glass ceiling and get their seat at the table. Whether that is leading a PMO or elevating the PMO, like many of our clients, they, you know, may start in a PMO in a department, but then by the time we're finished with them, they're a strategy delivery office reporting to the president, right? So that's what all of this content and support we're doing for the industry is about. And there's a, all of the speakers here have that same goal in mind. How do we help elevate this profession and the people in it? And it does take an investment in time and energy and focus so that you can achieve those really big things. But it doesn't have to happen overnight. Every little article you read, every video you watch, every you know session that you pay attention to, every conversation you have, Every place you go, they expose yourself to a different way of thinking, different mindset is another growth opportunity. So I'm really glad, Pierre, that you're bringing a real CEO perspective to what it takes and that it does require a mindset shift to realize if that's a goal of yours, whether it's a CEO or even just being at that leadership level for an organization, it requires an investment in yourself in order to make that happen. So these are such great tips. I'm wondering if you have any specific success stories or examples you can share where project professionals have done what we're talking about here and successfully broke that glass ceiling and made a significant impact in their organizations. Now you're talking about two different things because making a significant impact, I think you do this all the time as project professionals. You actually see the results of what you're doing. You're building something or you're launching an event, a product, you're even migrating your tech to the cloud. Whatever you're doing is usually quite concrete and as a sort of go-live moment, at least in general. By the way, most people do not have this chance. If you look around you, you know, if you're an accountant, if you're, I don't know, even a private equity executive, you're making a ton of money for sure. Your job is interesting, but you don't really see the outcome of what you're doing. It's not very easy. It's a little abstract, right? So I think that's the strength of being a project professional. And that's why, by the way, a lot of people envy you. Yes, believe it or not. A lot of people <laughs> love to manage projects 
because they get bored with the routine of what they're doing all the time. Consultants too, but consultants, they are kind of project managers, but the kind of project managers that very often don't see the end of what they're doing, right? And that's usually why they leave consulting. That's why I left consulting because I felt that it's interesting, but when I want to see the outcome of what I'm doing for good, right? And be accountable for it. So I think, you know, in terms of impact, that's not the issue certainly that project professionals have. You have impact and it's very visible. It is more maybe how you convert this impact you have into your career, right? Into your career profession. If your goal is to become the CEO, again, I'm not including your people who are in project-based companies, right? Like engineering, consulting, some of them become CEOs by definition, right? Because they are at the heart of what their companies is doing. But for all of the other ones, the problem is not the impact. It is really this conversion into career progression. Again, if this is what you really want. Right, for sure. A common challenge for project professionals is being seen as a strategic leader. I can't tell you the number of times project people have come up to me and said, my executive said that I need to be more strategic, but I don't know how to do that. And there's so many misperceptions about the role of the project professional that many face a glass ceiling in their professional trajectory. In your experience, what are some of the common barriers or challenges that project managers face when trying to elevate their role? And I think you hit the nail on the head. They are making an impact, but maybe they don't feel it or people don't realize the impact they're actually making. So what are some of those common barriers and challenges that you've seen? First of all, I just want to talk again for a second about do you really want to be a CEO or a C-suite? Right. I think it doesn't matter why you would want to do that, but really ask yourself, will you like it? You know, because it sounds good, but there's also pressure from everywhere. If you're a CEO, you're a public figure, you have to have a high tolerance to criticism because you would be criticized a ton all the time. Oh, yeah. Your job security would be quite low. It's going to be 24-7, like you said before. It's physically demanding, et cetera, et cetera. So got to think about whether this is what you want or not, because maybe what you like and what you want is actually managing projects because that's exciting as well. Maybe you're attracted by all things, like the status, the money. So good. You know, most CEOs become CEOs because they are attracted by all these things and other things as well. But you got to really, I think, dig down into your own motivation and know whether this is really what you want. Now, if this is really what you want to do, First of all, let me tell you that there are lots of overlaps, and maybe that's what generates the frustration to a certain extent. There's a lot of overlap in what the PM does and what I do, what a CEO does, yeah, right. or a division or business head does, right? So you know, people, organization, technology, culture, communication, stakeholder management, time, cost pressure, leadership, decision-making, risk, you know, all of that are commonalities between what a PM does and what a CEO does. Now. It's important to understand that the job of CEO goes a little beyond that. There are a few things that they have to do that are not typically what PMs are exposed to. Think of how, for instance, sales matter, right? It's very important now for a CEO to have a line of sight, the top line of the company, right? And that's usually something that project professionals not experienced. They had if they have been in consulting, at least at a certain level. And by the way, many consultants become CEOs at one point, not all of them, yep. but some. But if you do not have any experience in top line in sales, it's a little more complicated, right? There's also this experience in business models and finance from a balance sheet perspective. You know, sometimes product managers have a good understanding of accounting and even financing, but the uh, exposure to different business models, you know, is something that you need to learn and be comfortable speaking about, right? And then when we talk about the exposure to shareholders, very often project managers do not have this exposure and reach that level. When you are going to be appointed a CEO, you need to have had exposure to shareholders. You need to understand how 
they offer it, you know, and by the way, they're not all the same. Let's be very clear. It's not the same in a private equity environment as in a public company, or if you're running a non-for-profit, you know, and I don't know that, so I could talk about the differences, but definitely that kind of exposure to the people who ultimately make the decision of appointing the CEO or even some key positions in the C-suite is something that you want to try and get the opportunity to have, right? So working on very strategic projects that will give you the opportunity to do it. So pick the projects you work on. That's very important. And if you have at any point in time an opportunity to go to something that generates revenue, that will make a huge difference. All the rest, the skill set, you already have a lot, right? So it's not very far. It's just those little things that aren't missing. Just wanted to ask maybe one thing about CEO selection. You know, there's an interesting study that I saw, you know, some time ago by Spencer Stewart. They analyzed, it's interesting because they analyzed all CEOs that have been, who have been appointed at the head of an S&P 500 company over the last 20 years. Because you can tell, okay, so where do they come from? What's their career path? And almost all of them come from one of four positions, either CEOs or divisional CEOs, or they're a leapfrog, right? So interestingly, the leapfrog are the ones who did not report to the CEO or a CEO before. And so we get picked to become the CEO. At the same time, the most successful in likelihood, they're not the most frequent, right? That's between 5 and 10% of the appointments. But they are the ones who, on average, are the highest performers. They're also more risky than the others, right? So you also have relatively high failure rate with those people who are, you know, stepping ahead faster, who are those leapfrog candidates. These people are there usually because someone among the shareholders, so the people making the decisions, see them as the way to transform massively the organization. You know, and you see this a lot now with disruption. We're entering this new Schumpeterian era, right, with AI. So I'm expecting that we will see more of that, those situations of leapfrog uh, CEOs, because a lot of companies will feel that their business model is massively disrupted, their future is at stake, mm -hmm. there are massive risks. And I think they will be open to look for candidates who have that kind of different thinking that may not be have gone through all the steps of the divisional CEO or CEO divisional head or become the CEO or come from finance, but have that kind of mentality of let's try something different, let's transform our business model. So again, to go back to what we we're saying early on, if you can be involved in this massive AI transformation, I think you will gain also the credibility. First, you will be yeah. to a high level stakeholders, to shareholders, to the board, to all the people managing the transformation. So you have more access to the C-suite. You'll be very strategic in what you're doing, but also maybe you'll get a chance to be noticed and be part of this aspiration that I think will happen of the renewal of the C-suite that will be triggered by all the disruptions that are happening, right? Nate, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are being forced to rethink how they go into the future. And so it's not just transformation from what work are we going to do or how are we going to serve or how are we going to operate? It's also who is going to be leading us into the future. And that who is part of this transformation. So I think that's a really important. We've seen that with some of our fast growing organizations that are really trying to scale. We help them kind of rethink what their organizational structure looks like at the C-suite so that they are best positioned for the future state. So we're seeing this right now today already. I got my first CEO role when I was 31, exactly for that reason. Yeah. During the last disruption, the first internet wave, as we call yep. it, right? That's how I got the job, right? My right. First, because there was this uh, shareholder, I mean, this company that owned a publishing company, and they thought, okay, we're doomed. So why not taking a chance on someone who understands, you know, like has the right age and understand the digital transformation that is going to happen? And that's how I got my first euro. And then from there, I built a lot of companies and 
stuff like that. So those and that's disruptions are the opportunities, you know, to cut the corners and absolutely. That's how I went from computer science to project manager to poof, you're running the PMO, right? It was all felt like overnight. That was the same time in the late nineties and the dot com insanity. Yeah. And that's we're two real world examples of that people transformation that happens when the opportunities present itself. And I think you have a really important point that we're at one of those transformational times for organizations right now. So it's a great opportunity. And I want to just touch on something you were talking about there with respect to, do you really want to be the CEO, right? But there's other seats at that table, right? There's also, like you're talking about these other, where the other future CEOs come from is often from the other C-suite executives, right? So we've seen and we've helped organizations go from it was a PMO, then it's an enterprise, then it's a strategy delivery, then it's the COO role, right? Or they're reporting you to become the CFO or like you said, one of those kind of leadership roles. And if you're in a really large organization, maybe it's not the C-suite, but it's still an executive level position, right? And all of those seats at the table are opportunities for our PMO and project professionals, but they have to do the things that you're talking about here, Pierre. They really have to understand that it's about all of this growth and understanding and learning about that role. And I'm glad that you were talking about, here's the thing, I agree, having a project management background, when you're a CEO, yeah, you do use a lot of those same skills, all of the stakeholder engagement, relationship management, decision-making, all of those skills. And you also have these other things you need to consider. And my suggestion to the impact drivers watching this is start looking at those things now. You should be speaking return on investment language if you're in an organization that that's a focus. And listen, every CEO I've ever talked to, whether they're in a nonprofit, government, or you know, a commercial organization, does talk in terms of return on investment. They may call it return on mission or you know those kinds of things, but it's still the same thing. It's are we doing the right things to get to the best outcomes for who we serve and how we serve them, right? And do it in a way that it makes it not a drain on the organization's resources, but an opportunity to really drive big change without having the, we need more resources, you know, question answered. So I think we have a real opportunity for all professionals here that are watching this to understand it doesn't have to just be the CEO role. All of these leadership roles, like Pierre, the people that you surround yourself with when you go into an organization, the leaders that are helping you drive the future of that organization. All those seats are an opportunity for project people because there is so much overlap. And you're right, they don't realize that they actually are in pretty cool roles, being able to drive real impact. I think they kind of take it for granted when they're so focused on the day-to-day of managing projects and building their portfolios and all of the stuff they have to do. They don't realize that they're actually in a role that is a gift to really be able to do big things in this world. And I truly believe that project professionals are the way that we get to the future, and they're the one's best position in an organization to help drive real change and transformation because they know how. And really, frankly, most people don't know how. And that's what project professionals bring to the table that most people don't have. So I think it's a real gift and an honor. And there are adjacent positions that can be tried as well to expand your scope and again, have more visibility of right. the outline of your company. So think about product management, for instance, if you don't want to go to sales, but you could go to sales. Like sales is not rocket science and you need to be very organized to be a very good salesperson. And there are different forms of sales. Like if this is what you want to do, think of a lateral move at one point, do something very different, get out of your comfort zone and it's going to pay off. But think about it. Is it what you want to do or manage even more <laughs> interesting projects? Because 
Companies need that too. They absolutely do. Trust me. I've been, you know, hiring project managers for a while saying I need more and more of it because I want to do more and more to change the world, right? So I know we've talked about this, but if we can just kind of summarize for everyone that's watching, how can project professionals overcome this glass ceiling? What are the skills that they need to be seen as business leaders rather than just, even though we think it's incredibly valuable, project professionals and project leaders? Combination of attitude, experience, skills, right? So attitude is changing the status quo, developing higher tolerance to risk as well, and uncertainty. Yeah. Not easy for project people, right? But you got to develop this higher tolerance because CEOs have a higher tolerance for risk and uncertainty and C-suites because, you know, we got to take some risk. Otherwise, it's very difficult to navigate through all the uncertainties and very competitive environment. You have to be more maybe at ease with living in a more ambiguous environment and maybe sometimes looking at the big picture only and accepting that you may not see all the details and it's okay. And I know it's hard sometimes for project professionals because it's a little bit the opposite of what they usually do because they're being asked to make things happen, right? But sometimes right. live with this ambiguity in the big picture and accept taking a certain direction with only the big picture. I think agility has helped a lot with that. So yes, many, yeah, many project professionals understand that concept and understand how you progressively paint the details without having everything figured out at the beginning. So that's good. From an experience standpoint, it'll... Maybe you work on launching something new and very strategic, work on new businesses. You know, most C-suites right now are focused on new businesses, not just their existing businesses for many reasons that we all understand, you know, because things churn. It's hard to keep your position and keep creating value and growth if you do not launch new services. So there's a lot of appetite for that. And if you could be assigned and work uh, through your experience of launching something new and very strategic, that's, I think that is very valuable as an experience. Again, take the risk of doing something totally different, role, company, industry, even context or country that's useful, that's very good. Fix something like a big mess. And you do this sometimes in project. You know, I'm sure those of you who are experienced have been involved in fixing something that really went wrong. That doesn't go unnoticed as well, right? So it's important that one point in your career and pretty early on, if possible, you are facing those uh, very uh, chaotic situation and you are the one or you're part of the team that fixes it. And then I would say in terms of skills, you know, we've talked a lot about that for a long time at PMI. We're not the only ones. We've talked about power skills. So all the things that you need to do to develop as a project manager beyond the technical skills or beyond even the, the understanding of the business side of things, things like self-awareness, ability to listen and communicate, your effectiveness in uh, operating in a multicultural environment, your ability to infer how others think and feel, of course, and beyond that, doing something positive about it. All these, uh, well, we used to call them soft skills, but we call them power skills at DMI because we feel yeah. it's really about acting on your environment as well. They are so important. And, you know, in the world of AI, it's even more important. It doesn't mean that you should not understand the technicalities. You know, I don't believe one second that people who are technically completely incompetent are as good as the ones who are competent. You still need to understand that. Just like you study math before using software that does a lot of the math, right? So that's the way you understand what's behind what the machine is doing and you get this kind of mastery. But developing your power skills would make a massive difference. And we've been saying this over and over again. And I think the profession understands that and in general has made enormous progress in the last decade. Well, I think this conversation has really helped 
our audience think differently about what it takes to actually get there, get a moment, a glimpse into the perspective of the C-suite and see what you value, what you're looking for, so that they can start thinking about how they create that path to get there. And so to kind of just put an exclamation point on all of this, I'd like to go back to you in your role as CEO and wearing that hat as CEO and someone that's tasked with laying out and executing organizational strategy. Because this is a big thing that we talk about is it's project people, PMO leaders are not just about strategy execution. They really need to be supporting that entire strategy lifecycle. So you in your role in executing on, you know, laying out and executing on organizational strategy, what do you value in project leaders, project professionals, and what skills are you looking for like you just did when you built out this team and how you've had to do in multiple organizations. What do you look for when you're building a team around you to help you actually deliver on that full strategy? So it's a little different maybe for the leadership team specifically, and then skills that I sort of want to see with almost every executive in the company. You know, one thing you've spoken about, the fact that I now run a number of companies in different contexts. One thing that I'm noticing is that it's getting increasingly difficult to differentiate. Most companies, and I've always worked in the knowledge industry, so most companies operate increasingly with the same operating platforms, you know, same cloud platforms, ERPs, social media platforms, et cetera, et cetera, soon AI platforms, right? So that consolidation of the operating platform that are out there makes it more difficult to differentiate. And this is where the quality of the people there creativity, their ideas makes such a big difference. So I really want to see around as much as possible across the organizations that lead people who have disability to think a little differently, to see the angles that will not be exactly the same as everybody else, right? How do we differentiate as an organization starts with having people who think a little bit in terms of how can we be different? How, what is our angle? What, is, what distinguishes our team, our organization from everybody else? That's important to me. Specifically with leadership teams, I like having diverse profiles. You know, I think that it's important that not everybody is the same, something that I think all of us or almost all of us would agree with, but I really pay attention to that in terms of who we recruit, where they come from, what kind of industries they work for, what kind of technical skills they have, what is their background. So I would certainly look for that. I like having people who have a good quality of judgment when they are in leadership roles because, you know, things are, like I said, very ambiguous. You have decisions to make that are not always easy. It's really based on very simple parameters. Again, AI will do that if it's simple, but your quality of judgment will make a very big difference. Critical thinking matters to me a lot. So I like seeing people who have this ability to look at facts with objectivity and understand the dependencies between facts that do not jump on the conclusions without thinking a little bit. And then, of course, power skills like we want to see across the company. One thing that I want to say about leadership teams, by the way, it's not just about the leadership team members, but the team itself. So once you've got all the people, then the work starts for the CEO. It's building a very strong team out of this individual, right? The power of the team is that if you have 10 people, it has to be much more than the sum of that, right? And it starts right. with the trust that people have in each other, the respect. It takes time to get there. So you need stability as well. And you have to be quite firm on the behaviors that you expect as well if you want the team to be very operational. Now, specifically for project professionals, you know, right now in my leadership team, I have two of them. One of them is my chief officer, professional project manager uh, originally, who, of course, Perfect. I can begin through the tech group, became the chief product officer. And also my chief of staff is a professional 
chief transformation officer, and she has the EPABO. Again, a lot the same as the ones that we described, but also I really want to make sure that that EPMO team really focuses on the problems that we are trying to solve, right? Not just on the execution, but always trying to remember what is it that we're trying to address here and make sure that they understand how we can maybe give up, change priorities, change the resource allocation so that projects that we are spending time and resources on will be delivering as much value as possible. It is very important to me that they always have in mind this resource allocation mentality, you know, where yeah. we effort, time, money, people, skills, and that is the constantly shifting thing, right? So you decide, but then you may shift depending on how things are going and the environment. I really need that team to be able to do that, not just go with a plan, say goodbye and come back in one year, right? That's not going exactly. to work. In the end, what I really love with project people is that they are really, 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 and it's not a legend. They really want to get stuff done. Oh, yeah. We want, and trust me, CEOs do not spend most of their time managing the day-to-day. You know, that's not what they do. There's a belief that this is what they do, but that's not what they do. Spend most of their time transforming their organization, mm-hmm. and increasingly so, right, in a world that is very disrupted on many levels. That's what they spend most of their time doing. So if you're a PM, there's no doubt that what you are doing is what is interesting to that? You are right. But, you know, that's, I think, where your opportunity is the potential for a very fulfilling career is there. If you can develop the skills that we've talked about and communicate properly, get their interest, you are doing the stuff that they are interested in. Just more how you do it, that they're a little less interested in, but what you're doing, how this is going to benefit the organization is what they have a lot of interest for. Right. Oh, that is. So good and such a great way to end it because the work they do is really important. I mean, this is PMI after all, and that how is important, but it doesn't have to be those details aren't what the executives are really looking for. They're looking for the results. They trust you on the how. Get that done and tell them what they need to know to help drive the things they are interested in. And frankly, is their job is that transformation and getting the organization to a future state. So one in deep dive on how, on something, yeah. part yeah. Of is to gain the trust, right? To understand yeah. how part of it. And sometimes they have some interest. You know, I don't know, like some CEOs, including myself, we, for some reason, we get super excited with something that don't know why, but, you know, we have an interest or something at one point. And yeah. that's a fantastic opportunity because they will see how you actually work, trust you, and then focus on, indeed, the transformation and the things that you're trying to achieve for the company. And that's what they have a lot of passion for. So good. So good. Well, thank you, Pierre. This has been fantastic. I think we've touched on some really important points for all of our project professionals, PMO, strategy, transformation leaders that are watching this. And they can really see, I hope now, see, one, why there is that glass ceiling sometimes, how to break through it, and what the other side looks like. I think that's a really important point that you pointed out is this is what the CEOs and the C-suite executives are thinking about. This is what they look like. And this is how you can position yourself to get a seat at that table in supporting the organization in achieving the goals that the C-suite has set out. So it's, I think, project management and our entire profession in the space with PMOs and strategy and transformation is where the fun is. And I love that you made that clear. Like That's the cool stuff, right? We're in the cool kids club. So we just need to make sure that we're figuring out how to really, truly position what we do best to help that organization achieve big results. So 
Pierre, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. It's an honor to share you with this huge community of impact drivers. And I'm looking forward to seeing where you take PMI with this you know, high impact team you have in the future. Thank you, Laura. And I wish you all uh, sincerely and with the bottom of my heart, the best uh, of luck for your future on your journey to a very fulfilling career and exciting projects that will help your companies transform. Okay. So what did you think? Do you have a better sense of what executives are looking for? Pierre was pretty direct, wasn't he? Yeah. I think that you can get a good sense of what executives are really thinking. So I'm so grateful to Pierre and the whole PMI team always supporting the Impact Summit and for helping us elevate project management globally. Now, definitely let me know what you think. I'm going to be posting about this online on LinkedIn. Send a message. Let us know what you think. Add your comments because I think that there are huge opportunities for project people who know how to get stuff done to have a seat at the table and help their organizations thrive and be leading those organizations into the future. Now, before we go, don't forget this episode is sponsored by our Impact Engine system and our Impact Accelerator Mastermind. So if you're looking to get support to get you that seat at the table and build your leadership capabilities, I've got you covered. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash IES. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash IES and join us for the Impact Engine system, which teaches you everything you've got to do start to finish and the mastermind where you get coaching from me, your peers and other top industry thought leaders to support you in every step of your transformation journey. Come join us at the table. Bye-bye for now. 